My name is Brooke, and this is Michael on the other side of me, <laughs> um, and we're the Taylors. And um, yeah, Austin mentioned earlier, my dad is Randy Christensen. So some of you think, Randy Christensen, I don't know who that is. But if you remember the clown that came over the summer and hang, hung out with the kids, that was my dad. So we might not resemble each other because I don't have any clown makeup on today. But... <laughs> A lot of people do say I look like my dad. So it's kind of fun to be here because he already had a connection of being up here in Cross Lake. And this is our first time here. Um, we, we do know we met Pastor Gary and Carrie uh, last fall at the one of the pastor spouse retreats um, in Minnesota. So it was pretty fun to meet them and kind of have that family connection there. So um, we're really excited to be here today. And just we know that God has is doing something up here in Minnesota, and he's doing something here in Cross Lake, and we're excited just to be a part of that. Um, So actually, Mike and I just last September returned from our first term on the mission field, and we were in Spain, in Madrid, for a one-year term, and there we worked with Muslim immigrants and refugees. And so in Spain, we just were able to build a lot of relationships with Muslims that had never met a Christian before or never had a Christian friend before. And just that in itself was a ministry, being able to show them this is what true Christianity looks like. This is what friendship looks like with a Christian. And just through our daily lives, we were able to share with them uh, just how good God is and share with them about what we believe about who Jesus is and how he saved us. And it's pretty cool on Palm Sunday to think about just all the things that Jesus did and how we can glorify him with our lives. So we got to the end of our year in Madrid, Spain, and uh, we really felt like the Lord was was saying, this is not your long-term destination. Like there was another place we were supposed to go, but we, Europe, we weren't supposed to stay. And um, so we started praying about, okay, then where? And um, uh, long story short, we, I, I had the opportunity to do my senior internship um, from North Central University. That's where we met at North Central, both graduated from there. And um, I got to do my senior internship in Cairo, Egypt. And uh, my internship director, out of the blue, at the end of our year in Spain, emailed me. And he said, I don't know where you, where you guys are at, what you guys are doing, but we, you guys came to our hearts in prayer this morning, and we would love to... Um, sit down with you and tell you more about our vision and what we're going to be doing to plant an international church in Cairo, Egypt. And that was an answer to prayer. And they Skyped with us and they told us the two biggest needs we have is one, we need a worship pastor. And that's something I'm gifted in. They said, two, we need a kids pastor. And they knew me, but they didn't, they didn't know Brooke very well. They said, we don't know what you do, Brooke. Brooke's dad has been a kids pastor for her whole life. She's been, she has 20 years of kids ministry experience plus. And she's, yeah, so it's kind of a, uh, fun to see that and she she had graduated with kids ministry degree at north central so god just kind of orchestrated this whole thing and so what we're going to be doing in cairo egypt is um i'll be the worship pastor on staff at this church and uh, brooke will be the kids pastor but also we'll be leading um bible studies in our home on a weekly basis inviting people anybody and everybody all souls from from cairo egypt um, to, to share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ and to build community with them in fellowship. We'll also be taking Arabic two hours every single day, um, which is the thing we're most excited about. Not really. It's a nightmare of a language. But it's, it's uh, so essential to communicating with the local people there. Um, so we're excited for that. Yeah. And the city of Cairo is actually, during the day, up to 20 million people 
in that city. So you can kind of compare it to the amount of people that live in New York, New York City. So it's a lot, a lot of people, but it's very different than New York City because it's 80% Muslim. And um, that's what usually people think of when they think of Egypt is, oh, it's a Muslim nation. Um, but we, we know it as a different place. We know it is a Muslim nation, but there's a 10% Coptic Christian presence, as we talked about this morning. The, the church attacks were Coptic churches, uh, but they've been there for a really long time, for thousands of years in Egypt, the Coptic Christians. And um, there's a huge immigrant population also in Egypt. And so our role at the international church will be to reach out to all these different kinds of people, to the Egyptians, to the internationals that are living there studying Arabic like us or um, that are there for all kinds of different reasons, and for the Coptic Christians, for all the different people that could use a church home and learn more about who God is and what he's, what he's doing in the world. So an- another statistic is, um, well, first off, this church does not exist yet. It's, we're going to be starting it from the ground up. So right now our leaders are actually in um, Egypt right now preparing, and they have 22 people meeting in their home right now. And they said, get here quick because w- we have half of them kids. So there's 10 kids in our apartment, and we need kids faster and nobody to lead worship. So we, we know we're needed and excited to go. Um, but also um, part of that population of, of internationals is refugees. And um, a lot of these refugees come from a country called Sudan. And if you don't know anything about Sudan, it's just south of Egypt, and it's very, very war-torn. There's, um, in Darfur, there's been a genocide of Arab Muslims just slaughtering African Muslims. And a lot of them have fled and now live in Egypt. And when I went in 2013 for my internship, I got to meet one of these Sudanese refugees um, named Hakim. And, uh, yeah, we have a picture up here. But um, So I got to meet him, and I got to share with him um, well, first, I got to share with him who I was and a little bit of my story, but then he got to share his story with me. And I was so humbled by his story, how he sat there, and he told me that his mom and dad sat down with him, and they said, leave. They said, leave the country, forget about us, forget we ever existed. If you stay here, you're going to end up dead. There's no life for you here. And his friends and family have just been being getting killed like, like nothing. And it's one thing to hear a story like that, but it's another thing to look into somebody's eyes and see the hurt that they've gone through. And this was three years after the fact, and he had never heard from his parents since and didn't know if they were alive, didn't know if they were dead. But you know what? I was able to share with him the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And he was an African Muslim, did, didn't ever have ne- had never read a Bible before. So I was able to give him a Gospel of John in Arabic, just a little booklet, Gospel of John in Arabic, so he could read it in his own language. And he came back to me the next week, and he said, this book is amazing. He said, I need another one. I said, okay, well, there are 66 books in the Bible, so I'll try and get you an entire Bible in Arabic. And I was able to give him a full Bible in Arabic, and he had never held one before. And those are the types of people we're going to have the opportunity to reach in Egypt, people who may have never even met a genuine follower of Jesus, or maybe come from places where they can be thrown in prison, killed, or tortured for even considering the thought of Christianity. Yeah. We realize that there is a great need in this world for the gospel. There's a great need no matter where you go. People need Jesus. And so 
we know that it's a big calling for us to move all the way to Egypt and to do what we're doing at the International Church. And we know that we can't do it on our own. Mike and I, if we just decided to move to Egypt and start a church, I don't think it would happen very quickly or very effectively. Um, but we know that God gives us the church body for a reason, that he brings us together as Christians for a reason so that we can reach this world. And so we're really excited just to be here today um, because you guys get to be a little part of our story in going and following where God has called us to go. So there's three ways that you can help us get to Cairo. We're going for two years, and we're leaving in about six weeks. So it's coming up really fast. And the first way you can partner with us is obvious, is you can give in the offering. Um, we need to raise our entire budget before we leave. So we're hoping in the next two weeks to finish our budget. Um, and that's a, a big goal, but we believe God God has a plan for us, and he knows when we're going. So um, the second way you can partner with us is actually you can come back to our table in the lobby and buy one of our CDs. Mike has written and recorded all these songs. They're just worshipful songs um, about what God has been speaking to us as, as we become missionaries. And so he's going to play one of these at the end of service, too, so you can hear one of his original songs. Um, yeah, it's just a $10 donation for that, and that goes straight, the same thing as the offering. It goes straight to our missions budget. The third way is the most important way. Come back to our table and grab a prayer card and pray for us because we are going to an 80% Muslim nation. We are going to a difficult place and we know that there's a lot of spiritual warfare going on. And so your prayers really mean a lot in our ministry. And um, thank you so much for partnering with us. Mike's going to open us with prayer. Yeah, so it's kind of fun because I, I usually get the opportunity to preach. Um, but we were praying, and, and uh, Brooke felt like she had a message on her heart. So Brooke is going to be sharing the message with you this morning. Um, so I'm just going to um, pray over her real quick, and then we'll jump right in. Lord Jesus, we just thank you this morning, Lord God, uh, first for just the opportunity to serve you, Lord God, and that you call us and use anybody who's willing, Lord Jesus. And uh, I just pray that you would come and um, anoint Brooke, Lord God, as she shares this message, Lord God, and that you would just speak to each of our hearts, Lord God. We just open our hearts to you and um, say, Lord, Lord, have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, so we just shared a little bit about our story and going to Spain and now going to Cairo, Egypt, where we're going next. But I really just wanted to dive into um, the topic of faith because that's really, that's the main word in my story right now. So while we were in Spain, we were about halfway through, six months in, and everybody kept coming up to us and saying, so what's the plan? So you're going to stay in Spain. So are you going to extend your term? So are you going to come back to Spain? So are you going back to America? Are you going to be a kids pastor? What are you going to do? And I said, I have no idea. <laughs> and uh, Mike and I were just really praying about, God, where are you calling us to go? What are you calling us to do? Because we know that that's where we'll be the happiest and that's where we'll feel the most fulfilled if we're where God wants us to be. And so while we were in Spain, we really felt like um, Europe was not it. We had a great year there. We loved the, the country. We loved the people. We loved the language. Uh, but it wasn't where we felt God was telling us to stay. So we really just started praying and saying, God, where do you want us to go then? Okay, so we're going to plan all of these trips. Thank you. He said, so we're going to plan 
these trips. We're going to go visit Turkey, and then we're going to go visit Morocco, then we're going to go visit, uh, I don't know, Egypt. And we'll go visit, like, we're going to go visit all these countries and see if maybe that's where God is calling us. Because once we get there, then God can speak to us and say, this is it, right? That's great. In my mind, it worked out really great. Um, but in real life, that's not the way it works. <laughs> so since we were in Spain working with Muslim immigrants, actually, a lot of our friends were from Morocco. In the ministry center that we were at, a lot of the people were Moroccan. And so it was really normal for the workers there um, to go visit Morocco and see just the lifestyle that these people lived. And it was just south of Spain. Like, you can see Morocco from Spain. So it's really close. So we actually took a trip to Morocco, and we got to see kind of the above-ground effort and the underground. So we saw the international church that was open, and everybody knew about it. And we saw the Live Dead team that was underground ministry, that they're there kind of secretively because they don't want the government to know that they're reaching Muslims and that they're reaching people um, for Christ. And we had a great time just visiting the country and seeing how beautiful it was. And for me, that trip was really to see what is it like in the Arab world and could I live there? Because I don't want to get myself into something that I don't know that I would last. (laughs) So we went and visited there, and actually I said, Mike, I could do this. I could do it. Especially if I knew that was where God was telling me to go. I could do it. But... We didn't feel like that was the right place. And so I kept thinking, all right, so where are we going to go next? Maybe the next country we visit, God will say, okay, so that's, that's where you're supposed to be. Um, but as we prayed about it, we, went, we were only there for a week, and we went back to Madrid, and we kept praying. And we really felt like God was saying, stop. Stop looking. Stop forcing it. Stop speaking for yourself. I will tell you when you need to know. I've got it all planned out. Don't worry. Just let me show you in my timing. And so we stopped. We stopped planning. All the people that kept asking us, we just said, God's going to tell us when we need to know. It's okay. We don't have to know right now. And so we waited. We stopped and we waited. Um, And so that was in March and then in July. We waited from March until July. And that was when we actually got an email from Kurt Wolf, who was Mike's internship director when he went to Cairo, Egypt. And Kurt Wolf said, hey, we're looking for some people to join our team as we go to Cairo, Egypt. We're planting an international church, and we were praying, and your, your names came to our mind. And we were like, that came out of nowhere. <laughs> and God said he'd bring it to us when, when he wants, so we will listen. And in my mind, I'm thinking, Egypt is not my top of my list, but I will listen because I know God will tell me when I need to know. And so we we Skyped with Kurt and Liz Wolf, who are now our leaders that we're going with to Cairo, Egypt. Um, But at that time, during that Skype call, it wasn't clear to me. It was, okay, here's another opportunity. Let's pray about this and let's see. And honestly, it was a really hard decision Because moving away from your family, moving away from Minnesota and everything you know, learning a different language, um, committing to two years out of the country, it's all a lot to commit to. 
And so we really prayed through it, and we fasted, and for two or three weeks, we really just, we went back and forth and back and forth. And I said, God, if you are calling me to go to Egypt, I will go, because I want to go where you want me to go, and I want to make the biggest difference in this world that I can while I'm here. And so we, we prayed and said, God, just, I kept saying, God, just tell me. Give me a vision. Give me a dream. Send an angel. Like, speak audibly. Point me to the Bible where it says, you're going to Egypt. Like, make it clear. <laughs> but how many of you know God doesn't always speak to us the way we want him to? So none of those things happened. And really for a while, I just heard nothing. And I said, God, if this is where you want me to go, I need you to tell me. Because I'm not committing unless I know. And that was when God said to me, where is your faith? I was like, oh man, (laughs) God, you got me. He said, where's your faith? Don't you trust me? And that's what I want to speak on today, is faith. So if you have your Bibles, um, you can open up to Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 is the famous faith chapter. But we're just going to dig into the word today and see what God and the word has to say about faith and how faith requires us to act. So Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. We also have it up here on the screen. Hebrews 11, 1 says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. So when God said, where's your faith? I thought, well, what really is faith? So I started looking into what is faith? Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Even when God doesn't show us specifically, sometimes we just need to trust him and have faith and be sure that what we hope for is true, that that God is really speaking to us. Hebrews 11.6, also in the same chapter, Verse 6 says, without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So faith is being sure of what we hope for. Faith also helps us to please God when we act on it. Also in Ephesians 2, 8 to 9, It says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. Faith brings us salvation. Faith in God, faith in what Jesus did for us, brings us salvation, which I'm sure you'll be hearing a lot about this week with Easter coming up, but um, our salvation means nothing without our faith in God. Jesus' sacrifice means nothing without our faith in him, because it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Faith saves us. Does anybody, um, has anybody been in junior Bible quiz? JVQ is an Assemblies of God uh, children's program where they memorize things about the Bible and verses and stuff. So the Assemblies of God definition is that faith is belief and complete trust in God. So when God told me, where's your faith? I thought, man, do I trust you, God? 
That's what faith is, is trusting God. And that's what it all came down to for me. So my definition, which is on the next, the next slide here, is faith is trusting God with our minds, our hearts, and our actions. It's believing in him, trusting him. And when we trust somebody or when we trust God, then we live according to that. We act accordingly because we trust that God is in control. Faith changes our focus from our inward strength to outward reliance on God. It helps us to put our trust in something greater than ourselves. That's what faith does for me. Um, A.W. Tozer is a famous old author, and he said, Faith is a redirecting of our sight, a getting out of the focus of our own vision, and getting God into focus. How many of you have God in your focus every day? Instead of your own vision, instead of your own plans for that day, well, we need to put God into our focus and act on that faith. Faith is redirecting our sight. And getting God's vision into our focus for that day. So I answered the question, what is faith? But one thing that kept coming back to me is that sometimes you'd have to ask not what, but who. And you can learn from looking at people that are faithful. And the Bible mentions over and over that God is faithful. And when we look at the qualities of God and who he is, we know that God is the ultimate faithful one. And we can look to him to learn so much more about faith. And actually, faithfulness is one of the fruits of the Spirit. If you spend time with God, if you're full of the Spirit, then you will become faithful as God is faithful. Um, So I'm just going to read a few verses. Um, You can just read on, or actually just listen because... I'm going to go through them really quickly, so you probably won't get there in time. But God is faithful. So these are all verses about God being faithful throughout the generations. Deuteronomy 7, 9. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commands. Psalm 36, 5. Your love, O Lord, reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies. Psalm eighty-six, fifteen. But you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Psalm one nineteen ninety. Your faithfulness continues through all generations. You establish the earth and it endures. First Corinthians one nine. God is faithful. He has chosen you to share life with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. God is a faithful God, just as a faithful husband to his bride and a faithful father to his children. We know that we can trust him. I think that if I came to each one of you out here today, you could tell me a story about somebody being faithful to you in your life, whether it was your, your parents or your siblings or your friends or your dog. I don't know. Some of the people talk about their faithful dogs. <laughs> but all of us have people that have been faithful to us. And God is the most faithful that they come. He's the most faithful 
being that you'll ever find because he's always true to his word and you can always trust him with your life. I think that faithfulness is a lost quality in our world today. We can find so many people that are faithful, but in the secular world we live in, faithfulness is not common. And actually, unfaithfulness is glorified. We see so many moral failures. We see cheating on your spouse. We see divorces. We see um, parents leaving their children. We see children leaving their parents. If you watch TV or the movies, you'll see all of these things because that's just the way the world is today. But we have to know where to look for faithfulness. And we know that God is faithful in spite of people that fail us. We know that God will always be there for us. Unfaithfulness is seen through our actions. And so is faithfulness. That's what reveals what kind of person we are. Do we act out of faith? Or do we act out of our lack of faith? So how can we be more faithful? Really, the question is, how can we become more like God in his faithfulness? Um, Faith is very powerful when paired with prayer. And I think you all know that. (laughs) You all could tell me about how God is faithful when we pray. James 5.15 says, And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. In Matthew, um, Matthew 17, if you want to look that up, you can. I'm actually going to get it in my Bible here. Matthew 17, verse 14, we start. There's a scripture on faithfulness, and actually it has Jesus as the main person. Matthew 17, verse 14. I'm just going to read Matthew 17, 14 to 21. It's talking about Jesus and his disciples here. When they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. Jesus replied, O unbelieving and perverse generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of the boy, and he was healed from that moment. Then the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, Why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, Because you have so little faith. I tell you the truth. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. And we see that the disciples did everything right. They followed Jesus. They watched everything he did. And they prayed for this boy, and nothing happened. And Jesus said it was because they had little faith. And so um, in, math, in Mark 9, we also see the same story. And the father 
says, Lord, help my unbelief. Because he said, I didn't believe that you could, that you could save my son. And it, Jesus said, it's because of your lack of faith that he's not healed. And I find myself being like the father and being like the disciples sometimes, where I have too little faith and I need God to help me, to give me more faith. And we say, Lord, help my unbelief. I also find it interesting in Mark, the same story, Mark chapter 9, um, Matthew says, Matthew says that Jesus cast out the demons by faith. He said, you have too little faith. In Mark, he says, by prayer, not by faith. He said it's by prayer. But as I just read before, the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. And so you need prayer and you need faith. And one without the other is not near as powerful. But we need both faith and prayer. We need our faith to go into action to see the results. Prayer increases our faith. And faith demands action. Everybody turn to your neighbor and say, faith demands action. Very good. Faith demands action. Good job. Just making sure you're all awake still. All right. (laughs) Okay, I just, I got about five more minutes here, so stay with me. Um, We also know that in the Bible, there are so many amazing stories of faith. And we can learn so much, not just from God's faithfulness, but from the people in the Bible that were um, they were considered righteous because of their faith. Hebrews 11, that we started in at the beginning, um, Hebrews 11 is called the faith chapter in the Bible. And it mentions many leaders in the Bible. So I'm gonna, just going to share through the list of some of the leaders that show up in Hebrews 11, just through the generations of um, the Old Testament. So there's Abel, Cain and Abel. Abel was considered righteous. He had a right heart because he did what was right in the Lord's eyes, and he brought sacrifices to him. He acted on his faith. Enoch. Enoch was the man who pleased God. He walked and talked with God until he was no more. He went to heaven because of his faithfulness to God, because he considered prayer and spending time with God something to value. Noah, the man who stood alone, Noah, we all know the story of Noah and the ark, but Noah, even in the in a, the midst of persecution and everybody disagreeing with him and saying, you're crazy, he stood on the faith, knowing that God was telling him what to do, and he acted on that. He didn't just say, yeah, God, I believe you're going to send a storm. Okay, I believe you. No, then he would have been dead with everybody else, right? He acted on that faith, and he said, I know that God is going to destroy this earth, and so I know that I need to do something about it. So he prayed, and he built that ark, and he survived because he was faithful. Abraham and Sarah, the couple who believed God for the impossible, they were way past childbearing age, but they believed when God told them that they were going to have a son. And God was faithful in answering that promise. And then that son that they finally got, Abraham was willing to sacrifice him. He took him up on 
onto the mountain. Um, he took Isaac, and he knew that God was telling him to sacrifice him. And how hard would that be to act on that faith, knowing that everything else in the world and everything in your logic was telling you the opposite? But Abraham knew that he needed to act on that faith. And it says his faith was credited to him as righteousness because he listened and followed what God told him to do. He acted on his faith. There was Isaac, the man who accepted God's sovereignty, who blessed his sons and who, who lived a long life. We have Jacob, the man who finished strong. He had 12 sons. He had Joseph. And he trusted God with his life. And even through the midst of the famine and all the difficulties, he never left God. We have Joseph, the man with a divine purpose. We all know the story of Joseph, Joseph going to Egypt, um, being sold into slavery. But he trusted and had faith in God, and he acted on that. He, there were people sent in prison with dreams, and Joseph acted and said, No, I have faith that God is speaking to you. Let me tell you what he's saying. And he always trusted that God was on his side. Moses, the unexpected leader, he didn't ever expected that he would be a leader himself, but he acted on his faith. He left the people that raised him, and he left the desert once he had found a home there so that he could follow God and do what God had told him to do. He valued people above treasure. And in Hebrews 11, it says, I, I don't even have time to tell you about all the other people. There's Joshua and Rahab and Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets and the nation of Israel. And there's so many people that we could keep on talking about, but you all don't want to stay here till 2 o'clock today, right? <laughs> or longer. <laughs> no, there's so many people that we can learn about faithfulness. And one thing that I found they all had in common was they all acted on that faith. And they were considered righteous because of it. And so I realized that faith demands action. And that if I had never, if I had told God when we were in Spain and said, God, yes, I have faith. Yes, I believe you. Yes, I trust you. But I'm not going to act on that. I'm not going to Egypt. How many of you know that probably would be the easier thing for me to do? <laughs> and say, no, I'm going to stay here in America where it's comfortable. I'm going to live close to my parents. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go to all the good American restaurants. <laughs> but I realized that my faith is worth nothing unless I act on it. Unless I really do, if I really do trust God, then I'll do what he's told me to do. Um, James 2, verse 17 and 18 says, In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. Now, when we make this big move across the world to another country, to a Muslim nation, just our faith of moving and trusting God is a witness to the Muslims. It's a witness to the internationals. It's a witness to the Coptic Christians. And we say, I'm here because I have faith in God and I know where he sent me to go. So my question for you today is, 
how can you increase your faith and how can you act on it? How are you living out your faith? Because the world sees us as people of faith. But we're not people of faith if we don't live by it. Also in James 2, it says, Breath gives life to the body as works give life to our faith. Just like the body without spirit or the breath is dead, so faith without works is dead. We need to act on our faith. The things we say we're going to do, do we really trust God with our lives? When we say, God, I'll go wherever you want me to go, I'll do whatever you want me to do, when we sing those songs, do we really mean it in our hearts, in our minds, and in our actions? Because without works, our faith is dead. And without faith, our works are nothing. We need them both. Ultimately, it is our faith in God that makes us different from this world. People will know us by our works and our deeds and our faith in God. So how can you act on your faith? How does the world see you? Do they see you different than them because of the faith that you have? And Mike's going to come up and sing his song just about, um, Mike's song is just about heaven's harmony and how we all, as all different kinds of nations and cultures, will go to heaven together and worship together. Well, I'm going to share a song that I wrote. Um, it's called Heaven's Harmony. And um, Jesus' final command to us was go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. And um, Every tribe, tongue, and nation will be gathered around the throne in Revelation, it tells us. And it's our job to, as, as followers of Jesus to fulfill that great commission. Um, but this is a song that I wrote just about that. Every, every tribe, tongue, and nation gathered around the throne uh, worshiping Jesus. It's called Heaven's Harmony. It's also on the CD out back if you want to get it. It's going to take all the colors of the nations to paint the beauty of your kingdom and it's gonna take every tongue across the seas to create the sound of heaven's harmony across the earth but the body of Christ has missing pieces unreached peoples the body of Christ extends across the earth but the body of Christ has missing pieces unreached peoples God's kingdom transcends all that the voices of the nations join in together. We want to see 
here this morning, Lord God. We thank you that we are a part of the body of Christ, Lord God, that is able to worship you with all the saints all around the world. Lord God, we just pray that you would be with us as we go from here. Lord God, that we would glorify you in all we do. In Jesus' name.